and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. And I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, so whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show from a 21st century lens. Thanks for listening. Now, on to the episode. Season 5, Episode 9, Listening to Fear. So, can we talk about the state of the Buffy Monsters of the Week lately? (laughs) We were very critical in the previous episode, I believe, of the Cobra Demon. Oh, past Steph and Kara... And I know it, I know that it's been several weeks for you listeners because we're coming back from our break, but we've recorded this episode before going on our break. Steph and Kara of last week or several weeks ago, they had it really good. That Cobra <laughs> Demon actually was not that bad compared to this week's monster. We actually had a lot of sympathy for that Cobra Demon, <laughs> if my this memory one... serves. <laughs> Is is this the where the wild things are of season four? Is this just a terrible episode? I think it is. I think it is because, I mean, I'm not going to lie. At the very end, I was moved. I shed a tear. But the rest of the episode, I was like, the fuck is happening? Uh, did I think that a cockroach looking alien would follow the debacle that was last week's snake episode? I didn't. Uh, but uh, here we are. This is where the wild things are of season five, in my opinion. This is the worst episode we've seen so far. I was going to compare it unfavorably to Beer Bad, except I know that you have a soft spot for Beer Bad in your heart, so I didn't it's, want to do that to you. It's not that I have a soft spot for Beer Bad. I just honestly don't believe it's the worst episode of the series, as so many people I, like I to agree. say. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, well, I don't remember what I said, so maybe I said it was the worst episode of the series. I just, I don't think listening to fear, this might be the worst episode of the season. We'll see how we feel after we get through it. <laughs> by the end of this entire run, this the, by the time this Prophecy Girls podcast ends because we finished season seven, we're going to rank the worst, the five worst episodes of the series. I'm not going to remember. I'll need my listeners to do my ranking for me. We'll let other people do the work for us. But And, and they'll be like, well, Car, you kept saying this was the worst episode and contradicting yourself. And it'll be like, you caught me. You got me. You got me there. It's all on. It's all on tape. So I will say there is one scene in this episode that I think is way up there with top scenes in this whole series. There's two there's two really good scenes in this episode and there's one scene in particular where I'm like this is it this is this this transcends what we would normally expect from a monster of the week kind of episode and I'm curious to see if you can guess um you you could guess either of these good scenes but I'm curious to see which one you think is like the best one interesting so like as I said one scene in this episode moved me very much Another scene, which I'm actually kind of curious if this might be the one that you're talking about. I was like, what is this doing here? So oh. <laughs> let's, I mean, hey, I don't know what you're talking about. So I guess we'll let's find out. Let's get into it. Yeah. 
So we start off and the summer girls are having bedroom breakfast in a hospital room. Womp womp. <laughs> uh, Dawn's eating jo- Joyce's Jello. Uh, Joyce is obviously still in the hospital, uh, taking her meals there. Dr. Downer from last episode has been replaced with a Dr. Kriegel. So many doctors. Right? Everyone's coming to Sunnydale because all of the wild medical problems are there, I think. He comes in to tell Joyce that her surgery is scheduled for the day after tomorrow at 10 a.m. How's that sound? And Joyce makes a joke about having volleyball practice. And Dr. Kriegel's like, get some rest and leaves. And Joyce says she can't stand to stay here for two days waiting. And Don says, we have soap operas we can watch and trashy magazines to read. And Buffy's like, yeah, and the adjustable bed, we have that to fiddle with. It'll take about four hours. And this reminded me, Cara, I was like, man... We were so bored before we had phones. <laughs> like <laughs> Phones and just, yeah, access to a lot of media on demand and such. Have you ever had a kind of an extended stay in a hospital like this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when my mother was ill, uh, she was actually very... This, this is another reason why I was moved at the end of this. Uh, she mm-hmm. was being prepped for a very serious heart surgery when I was in first year university. So I was 18 years old. Spent a lot of time in the hospital waiting for the surgery to happen, right? And then during the surgery and after the surgery for recovery. I didn't have a phone then. I was, yeah, 18, so it was 2007. I didn't have a phone. And I remember bringing a lot of books. I did have homework. Mm-hmm. I had a Sudoku book. So like, that's how I would spend my time. But I swear to you, Car, if, if this was happening to me now, and knock on wood, it doesn't happen to me for a long time, you best believe I'll be on my phone creating content for Prophecy Girls Instagram and TikTok pages. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I've had experiences kind of similar to yours where I've had somebody close to me you know, in a hospital for an extended period of time. This was more recent, so I did have a phone and stuff. But I think it's also just challenging in those environments because there's a lot of disruption, right? You've got doctors and nurses and cleaners coming into the room kind of unpredictably sometimes. So, So it can be very difficult even to kind of get engrossed in something if you're trying to watch a TV show or a movie there's all these interruptions sometimes. Yeah. It's also interesting, too, because I, like, I have a friend recently who was in the hospital during her pregnancy, and she was there for about, like, I don't know, a month straight, and the like she had her iPad. So the amount of movies and TV shows she could get through with her iPad. So this is another way I opened my eyes. Like, these girls are going to watch uh, mm-hmm. soap operas, whatever's on TV, right? Whatever yes. they can get on TV. Yeah. Like, I, I was in a ho- I was in hospital uh, recently-ish, and I... Um, had that same kind of experience where like, so the room I was in had a TV hooked up, right? But I never turned it on. I don't think I even knew where the remote was because mm-hmm. I had my computer yeah. and my phone. And it was like, well, I'm going to watch a movie on Netflix or I'm going to you know, watch this show uh, or I'm going to read my book. Um, and I mean, it's a little bit different when you're a patient because there's obviously people coming in to do things to you and you sleep a lot because you're trying to recover or you're sick or whatever. But it, you're definitely right about like phones changing the game. Uh, and But in this case also, I think it's interesting to me that Buffy and Dawn are spending all this time with mom at the hospital. How how long has it been since the last episode? Unclear. Yeah. So I'm curious to see, like, is this, like, the beginning of them mm-hmm. establishing a routine or have they been here for, like, a week now? No, I think they have been here for a week because as we go through the scene, uh, the doctor actually, I think he said it, I just didn't write it down. He says, oh, we've gotten used to you ladies being here. So maybe it's been a week. I remember that, yeah. Possibly. Um, So what we're saying is that 2022 
is much better better than 2000 or well, 2001. <laughs> the other thing that I would think about, though, is protocols have changed so much because of COVID, right? It's a lot harder to have visitors these days, and, and things are a lot stricter. I remember just at the start of, like, this was actually pre-COVID, but you had to, like, gown up and stuff to go into to people's hospital rooms, depending on if they were immunocompromised. Um, and, I mean, maybe Sunnydale Hospital just isn't as strict with this stuff as they should be, and maybe Buffy and Don should be counting up. But um, these days, of course, there are a lot of restrictions around, like, the number of people who can be visiting, and, and the visiting hours are a lot more restricted, and that's all very important for health and safety. But I, I feel like that contributes to loneliness and isolation for patients as well. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, what a time to be alive, eh? So <laughs> Joyce um, is saying that um, she knows that Buffy can't stay. She's got patrolling. And Buffy's like, not tonight. I've got mom taking care of to do. Riley's filling in with the others. And she's sure they have it under control. We cut to the cemetery where Giles, Willow, and Xander are fighting two large female vampires and they're getting pretty beat up and it's quite the tussle and at one point giles almost stakes xander but by the end of the scene cara willow rosenberg stakes both of the vampires and it's super impressive girl power yeah and then she does it with her fist too it's not like she um or their or their or with her strength it's not like she used magic like she actually did it i was like wow can't remember last time that ever happened, if, if it ever happened before. And Willow is so psyched. She's like, I dusted two of them. Yay on me. That was pretty cool, except the part where I was all terrified and my knees are all dizzy. And Xander set, wants to point out to everyone that uh, he should get points for showing up, unlike a certain Riley Finn who shall remain unnamed. Wait, 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 wait. So Xander is literally asking for cookies for doing less than the bare minimum here yes i caught that too cara here's my note i said yes xander you are a white man you already get points for just existing that's what white male entitlement is so <laughs> like here's the thing right is it's like some people are harder on us for slander xander but he deserves it because it's times like this when he's literally being written as the embodiment of male privilege. And it's just like, <laughs> we're just calling it as we see it. Yeah, you said it, not us. You could have you could have kept quiet. Uh, Giles says it would have been easier if Riley had been there, obviously. And Will says, Piffle, who needs him when I'm dusting two at a time? And then she almost faints. And then she's like, okay, maybe it would have been good if he had shown up. And Giles is like, maybe he forgot. We cut to... What I don't, I, I put Krakos because that's what it like makes me think of. Um, some rundown building where Riley Finn is allowing a sexualized female vampire to drink from his arm for free, I assume. I assume, I don't know what, what either of them get out of it. She gets blood, he gets I, I this guess, amp up. I don't know. I guess the show feels like, because they've already done a cheating arc with Oz and Willow and Cordelia and Xander, they can't just have Buffy do normal cheating. It has to be supernatural vampire-inspired cheating. Yeah, so this is the thing. It's like, okay, so yeah, if we want to look at it as cheating, par like paranormal cheating... Um, the bite sex, as you meant, as I think you blew my mind last time. I was like, you're right. It is bite sex. It is cheating. In this case, like he's just letting this vampire feed off him. So my question was going to be, what is this? Like, what is this to Riley? So on one hand, do we think that Riley is trying to figure out how to be darker or edgier for Buffy since he thinks she's only into dark 
guys, dark, dangerous men? Or is this just for him to feel something, to feel like, like kind of like how people, um, when they get a little reckless, maybe when they cheat, maybe when they go and get into a bar fight or when they partake in dangerous drugs or, you know, illegal activity, is it kind of a high for him to break him out of the stupor of like, I'm only Buffy's boyfriend? Like, what is this? I think it's self-harm. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's a high. I don't think he gets high off this. I think he has accepted that his relationship with Buffy is probably not going to survive much longer. And rather than trying to fix it or talk to her about it, he's decided he is going to wallow in it, much like you kind of compared it to, you know, other substance use. And in this case, he's not he's not getting a high from this, um, but he is using it as a distraction and as an excuse. I think there's an element of self-loathing to Riley's character in this season. He doesn't feel good enough. He doesn't feel man enough, right? He just had that last element of his superpowers removed and fixed. You know, his heart is now working properly, but he's not Mr. Adrenaline Macho Guy anymore. Um, and Buffy's not helping him feel man enough. And we've we've already discussed that ad nauseum. But, you know, I think Riley has reached a point where he needs, like, serious help. But he's not willing to admit that yet and nobody else around him has noticed and that's something i wanted to bring up so nice segue thank you steph nobody is really paying attention to riley uh and what he's going through here where are the rest of his friends like graham left forrest is dead he doesn't seem to have any friends outside of the scoobies which is just it's very sad and i do feel some sympathy for riley in that sense that he's like isolated and clearly nobody is seeing this and i think the closest like guy friend he has at this point is xander and he confided to xander like buffy doesn't love me and xander has done shit all to support riley in this i will say there was one point in a previous episode where xander asks him are you okay like when xander pushes a little bit to be like you're being reckless what is this do you know what you're doing right and but mind you like you're like that's small like it's not like he's really going out of his way to spend time with riley and and help counsel him in any way as a friend but he has mentioned yeah it. he yeah. doesn't have a good support system in place yeah um and partly that's his fault but partly it's just you know you moved across the country for school slash your job or whatever right and he's now lost that job he quit the army um and he stayed there because of his relationship with buffy but again i feel like this is the fault of the show which is we never see Riley calling home to talk to his parents or his family or whatever. Is it because he can't? Is he estranged from them? Do they know that he was an army commando? Like, we know literally nothing <laughs> about Riley other than the fact that he's from Iowa. And, you know, he's like a farm boy. And he was in the military. And this is my problem with Riley's character. It is he's literally, you know... There's nothing behind him other than he is Buffy's boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. And I think you did a really good job of outlining why we do have levels of sympathy for this guy. Like, I get it. And when you when you compare this to someone who is self-harming, it is very sad. Uh, and you do want to reach out and be like, somebody care. Um, on the other hand, though, again, it's like, okay, so the seediness of him going to this place so that vampires can feed off him when really what he needs to do is just talk to his girlfriend. Do you know what I mean? Like, just, just have a conversation with Buffy. Like, wouldn't that solve a lot of your issues here, Riley? So the sympathy is there, but it, it caps off 
at a point. So cut to the credits. After credits, Willow comes to Joyce's room with a care package for everybody there. She calls herself Santa Claus, except thinner and younger and female and Jewish. (laughs) And for Joyce, she brought a beer hat. And um, she was like, you know, in the store, it seemed like the perfect idea. And Joyce is very sweet about it, but she does have a headache. And I was like, this is a funny gift, Willow, because it's true. Like, Joyce doesn't have to do anything if she wears his hat right? She's going to lift her arms. She can just drink from it. But at the same time, Willow, it covers her head where she's about to have brain surgery. So I don't know about that. They're worried about Joyce, who's like, no, no, I'm fine. Like, keep going through your stuff. Willow gives Dawn a spell book, which is just history and anecdotes about spells. But Dawn is really happy about it. Yeah, like, yeah, she read the room really right with when it comes to Dawn. Um, And then for Buffy, she gives her, like, a textbook. And Buffy's like, homework? I don't believe in tiny Jewish Santa anymore. And Willow also brought her a yo-yo. And I was like, that is so cute. And it's such a... it's such a throwback because remember in Killed by Death, Willow brought Buffy her homework, but she had done it for her. And then also a throwback to um, season one and two where Buffy often had a yo-yo. <laughs> it was either in her bag or she was playing with it when she was patrolling, which is really funny. They have a little conversation about um, the last exam, which was on World War One, And um, it won't be a hassle for Buffy to make it up. And Buffy says, I don't know if I'm going to take that exam. So this is our first indication that all of this time taking care of her mother and being at home and working on being a slayer, perhaps, is actually taken away from her schooling. So to the point where Buffy is missing school, she missed an exam, and she doesn't feel like she's going to be able to take the exam. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, this is really real, right? I think a lot of people will see themselves in Buffy's struggle here when you're young and you take on caregiver responsibilities because your parent or another relative has fallen ill um, and it interferes with your pursuit of higher education, your studies, or, you know, your vocational um, education. It's really sad. It's really unfortunate. Um, Buffy's going through a lot in this episode. And I also think it's an interesting contrast to what we saw at the end of season three where she was so invested in, I don't want to be just the Slayer. I want to go to university like, you know, a normal kid. Um, And now she's really turning her back from that path. She has been leaning hard into the Slayer thing, even before her mom uh, got sick. And and like you just said, right, it seems like, well, Slayer is obviously a priority. Mom's obviously a priority. School's the thing that has to go. And so whether or not it's, what Buffy would have chosen if her mom hadn't got sick. I think it's interesting that now this is what's happening with Buffy. Yeah. And I saw parallels to that later on that I brought up in my notes, but just a little nod to what you're saying here, that concept of family was really big for me in this episode because this whole time, like this whole series Buffy being a slayer always came first. You're the chosen one that comes before dating, that comes before school, that comes before all this other stuff. But in this episode, we're actually seeing that family comes first and the scoobies Mm -hmm. respect that and that's never been something we've seen before which i find so interesting you know so we'll keep exploring that as we go as buffy and will are talking about school joyce suddenly says i'd rip it in half and stick it in bed with me and she says it in a really like harsh tone and out of the blue and everyone looks really shocked and buffy's like mom and joyce snaps out of it and she's like i I I just want to rest so buffy's okay we'll be outside and they all leave in the hospital hallway, Dawn asks what that was. It was weird. And Buffy says, um, the doctor spoke to her. The thing that's pressing on her brain, it might make her say weird things. She doesn't know that she's saying them. It's like a flash. 
And Willow's like, once the operation's done, no more pressing. She'll be normal all the time. And Buffy's like, Santa doesn't lie. So they walk on as, remember the janitor who had Jennifer as a wife and two daughters from No Place Like Home? He is walking by them with his family. He starts to yell at Dawn because remember, Glory did something to him. And clearly this is, it's left him insane in some way uh and he starts yelling like what is that thing there's no data no pictures of this one where's the data there's no one in there and don's like buffy and buffy and willow steer don away and she's like well what's wrong with him is it like mom and buffy's like i think it's different i like don't worry about it and that's when ben the intern ben the sexy youthful intern he always shows up at like the worst times (laughs) is he waiting is he lying and wait being like okay like the the vampires right he's like okay i'm gonna wait and then i'm yeah he always jumps in when i think he needs like he feels like buffy needs saving (laughs) right so um he jumps in and he's like he bothering you (laughs) and buffy introduces him to willow and he's like that crazy man was crazy and like you we don't like the way that they describe these things but uh this is 2000 Buffy says, are you going to send him home? And Ben says, the mental ward is booked beyond capacity. Literally nowhere to put them. So the ones with families are getting sent home. Uh, Then he's like, bitterly. He's like, like their families will be able to take care of them. He needs to be watched 24-7. Sounds like Ontario's healthcare system under Doug Ford. Well, there you go. Um, Buffy says the guy was just babbling. So Sunnydale at nighttime. Willow and Tara are on a roof. I don't know where this roof is. Is it the, the dorm, maybe? They're looking up at the stars. They're scar- stargazing. At one point, Tara says, Japanese commercials are weird. And I was like, you're weird, Tara. Willow is saying that stars make her feel like she's in space, part of the stars. You know, life is so ign- insignificant when you look at space. Tara points out all of these star constellations that she made up on her own. And they just kind of like cuddle. So this is a strange scene to me. Is this the scene that you're referring to when you said you really liked it? No. Okay, good. Okay, good. Cuz I was I was worried that you're going to be like, "I love this scene." Cuz I was like, "What is this scene?" You know, it's nice to see them cuddling and being a couple even though, you know, no kissing or hugging or holding hands. But I was also like, this is a really long scene for these two girls to just be talking about stars. I think it has a couple of purposes. One, it allows them to be connected to the the meteor falling, right? In some in some interesting sure. way. Yeah. It's also, you know, showing us more Willow and Tara relationship stuff, which it's nice that they're continuing to build that relationship. Um, I've complained, you know, that Tara, other than family and being here and there in a couple of other episodes, it wasn't really until, what was it, two weeks ago, where she she really kind of played a larger role. So um, uh, it's it's just nice. I like these scenes. I like them because... You know, it's kind of like when we had girl talk with Willow and Buffy back in the first three seasons. You know, it's nice to have these scenes that don't really feel like they're connected to the main story of the episode. And it's just these character moments. I agree with you that it's kind of weird that they're just like lying on the roof. Like, where are they? (laughs) It's, it's It's a strange setup to get them to look at the stars, you know? And like, I'll add because they have this whole like, I don't know, two minute, three minute scene I was like, well, Willow still doesn't have a storyline this season, right? Like, she still is storylineless. <laughs> no arc. She's become woke Santa. <laughs> yeah, like, besides, yeah, that. I don't know. Whatever. This scene was cute, but, like, whatever. Uh, basically, what we're saying is, yeah, something, giant ball of light shoots from the sky, crashes into Sunnydale. They see it. We cut to the meteor in the field. 
or everything's burning up and clearly something crashed there. And no, this is not the Superman Smallville crossover of my dreams. It's not Clark Kent's long lost cousin <laughs> crashing to earth. Um, it's something that skitters across the ground and we see it because we're, the camera is like the creature's point of view. <laughs> And um, the janitor that had left the hospital earlier clearly escaped his home and he's wandering through the forest by himself and this creature attacks him. And we see the creature when it jumps out of the tree at this guy and it looks like um, a Pokemon. It looks like like a, like a little bug Pokemon, you know? Yeah, like it's got no legs, right? It's just got arms. <laughs> you know. And also, like, I, in my opinion, I think it should be small. I think it should be really small. And I'll, I'll bring that up later when it's crawling around the ceilings of the hospital and everyone's like, like no one sees it. Okay. In the, here we go. It's right away. At, at the hospital, the creature is crawling around the ceiling. Well, remember, the lighting in Sunnydale Hospital is not great because of budget cutbacks. I know. It's never been bright. Ever, ever since we were in the hospital in season two, it's just been dark in there. But like this, this creature's not small. It's like the size of like a pillow. Like it's it's pretty big and dark, and it's just crawling around the ceiling, and everyone's just like do 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 do, and no nobody looks up. No one looks up. So Joyce is trying to summon the nurses um, from her bed, and she's freaking out about it because she says the button's not working. Uh, relatable. That's definitely happened to me when my dad has been in the hospital. Oh. There's always the button's not working. Right? He's like jamming his thumb down. You know, the nurses can never come fast enough. I know. And the nurses are like, "God damn it! I got like 50 other buttons going off right now." <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, I I know we like to brag about our, our healthcare system being better than the U.S.'s, but when it comes to staffing, that's the a serious problem right now right so seriously although i will say when you press that button on an airplane they come right away so <laughs> um yeah so buffy's trying to calm her down and joyce says that um she bets that button is not hooked up to anything just like the buttons at the crosswalk that are supposed to make the signals change and buffy's like shocked by that and i don't know if that's true or not i feel like it's not true because i work in construction and i deal with traffic people all the time and the buttons do have a purpose but maybe not everywhere. Who could say? I was gonna. I was gonna ask. What is the purpose of the buttons? Is it to make me feel better? <laughs> yeah, just to make you feel like you're not waiting. Something's happening as you wait. Um, but yeah, so Doctor Kriegel comes in and Joyce is like telling Buffy, and Buffy says, "We want to go home, all of us, Mom too." And the doctor is saying, "It's not necessarily the first thing I'd recommend." And Joyce says, "I can't stay here waiting for two days in this for this operation. It makes my head hurt to be here. Can't you tell that?" And Joyce is like very desperate sounding, right? And the doctor says, "Now, Joyce, there's no need to be upset." And Joyce is upset. <laughs> she says, right, sorry, I must just think there is because of my brain tumor. And Dawn is upset by this. So Buffy gives Dawn money because Buffy just carries cash with her all the time now. And she says, go get something from the vending machine. So Dawn leaves. Joyce feels bad about her outburst. And she's like, I'm sorry. And Buffy asks the doctor if she can just take Joyce home until the, the operation. Wouldn't it be better for her to rest someplace where she feels safe and comfortable? And the doctor says, it means more work for you to take care of her. Buffy says, I'll do it. I'll do anything. So the doctor says, okay, so like, you know, there are medications that need to be administered. Um, we need to go over it with you. Uh, you need to be able to check her vitals, like watch her pretty closely. You won't get a lot of sleep. You need to sign this waiver. Yes, well, I mean, I'm... 
I'm blown away that he lets this happen. But anyway, Buffy says she's not a sleep person anyway. And in the hallway, we see the creature crawling around on the ceiling past Dawn, who does not look up. She's just sitting there. So I understand for the plot of this episode that Buffy wants to take care of her mother and it's a big burden on Buffy. And I feel really bad for Buffy in this episode. But I don't know if the hospital would ever let this happen. Like Buffy is not a nurse. Buffy is not somebody who can take care of her mother. So I don't know. I don't know the protocols for this. I feel like it wouldn't be allowed. Um, I see both sides. I, I agree with you. It's it's risky. And what I'm pointing to, right, is the liability risk for the hospital. And I'm not an expert on medical malpractice and whatnot in the States. But it's like, you know, it seems to me like the hospital would really make her say, like, yes, it's okay. If I take my mom home, I'm taking all the risk. Um, but I also understand, like, they are short of beds and staff, right? So it makes sense that they're like, well, okay, you can take your mom home. Um, I think there are a lot of hospitals in kind of any part of the world where it's like, as long as they're satisfied that she's going to get the care she needs, maybe that is the best place for her for the next two days. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Scooby gang are with Riley are heading into the forest and Riley's like, I'm glad you guys called me in for this. And Xander's like, glad you answered. And Riley's like, yeah, sorry about last night. Like I missed out on some fun. So they get to the meteorite site and Riley walks up to it. And Anya's like, is it hot? Uh, If there's radiation, you could go all sterile. And Xander like backs up (laughs) and Riley's like, it's warm and broken and hollow. And Anya says, we're all thinking the same thing, right? And Xander makes a funny joke here. He says, Festive pinata? Delicious candy? (laughs) Willow says evil crashed to earth in this and then broke out and slithered away to do badness. And and this is another throwback to me because remember like whenever Willow, sometimes he just says these lines and they're so dark and like, like, like she's reading from a fairy tale book. Remember when she was, when she was, um interviewing jonathan in like go fish and she was yes. like you slithered from the depths and released your your ocean hell beast and, like, willow you know. has a flair for the dramatic which is why she's taking drama this semester <laughs> yeah like i really like it giles says i don't think we know that it slithered away and anya's like oh no i'm sure it frisked about like a fluffy lamb <laughs> and tara says let's spread out and see where where it went so they're exploring the forest and willow finds the body of the janitor and Riley examines the body, says it's dead. Uh, and Anya says, space lamb got him. <laughs> so Xander says there are no marks on him. Willow recognizes him as the mental patient at the hospital that got released. And Riley pulls something from his mouth that smells, and everyone's like, because it smells toxic to them. It really stinks. Willow says, we can't call Buffy, but I want to call Buffy. And Tara says, you can't. She's got family stuff that has to come first. So that I, this is where I made my note, where I was like, it's just so interesting that it's always Slayer comes first. Slayer comes first. Buffy comes second, right? Buffy's personal life comes second. But as soon as her mom gets sick, everyone just accepts that that comes first. Good. Yeah, good, good. I'm glad. I'm surprised, though. It's just it's never happened that way before, right? Well, what I'm curious about is where's Sheila? Because Joyce and Sheila were tight <laughs> for one episode. They were new lunch, yeah. <laughs> and now Willow is coming to visit Joyce because Joyce is, like, I guess, like a second mom to her, right? And it's like, is Sheila embarrassed after what happened in Gingerbread? Or I don't know. Like, you know. Good question. As, as annoying as she was, I would say that Pat 
Remember Pat from Dead Man's Party? Yeah, well, she would have been really good in this situation. Right, and that's another point, right? Is it's like, where is everybody else in Joyce's life? She works at a gallery, so presumably she has colleagues and subordinates. Are they coming to visit? Um, you know, I, I, when I was primary caregiver to my dad, like, yeah, it was stressful for me, and I was taking on a lot of responsibility, much like Buffy was. Um, but at the end of the day, like, there were other people around yeah. checking in and, and taking on a little bit of the burden at least right like joyce's sister right she has a sister somewhere yeah or you know does joyce not have any other friends like what does she do all day <laughs> well we know she's away a lot dealing illegal artwork so <laughs> right she's got clients so she's, she's getting like anonymous cards in the mail that have you know like <laughs> gold filigree and stuff they're like just stay in the hospital room it's covered <laughs> we sent you we sent you cash i mean that that but that would be cool right yeah. like this is the other thing too is like does joyce have insurance or are they plunging deeper and deeper into debt with every episode <laughs> i like to believe that angel's covering a lot of her bills right now <laughs> angel can barely pay for cordelia okay <laughs> uh, so yeah curiouser and curiouser who are the where are the other people in in joyce's life but wh- what i did cling on to with what you just said there was joyce is a surrogate mom to all these scoobies you know mm-hmm. Willow says, we'll figure this out for ourselves. We're experienced. And Anya's like, yes, we're always dealing with creatures from outer space, except that we don't ever do that. <laughs> oh, Anya. So so Riley says this is new territory. And Giles says we should explore a bit more, head into the woods for a bit. And as they all look toward the forest, Xander says, who votes research? And they're all like, yeah, <laughs> like, let's not. Riley says he's going to stay back and examine the body, look around a bit more. He's, he's like, I'm no good with research, even though he was a TA. Uh, he's like, you know, always like me, a good crime scene. And Jazz is like, okay, well, calls if you need any help. They leave. And as they leave, Willow tells Giles that she doesn't want to be the one that finds bodies anymore. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it's true. At the, at the beginning of the season, she found Mr. Bogarty's body in the magic shop and willow stumbled across many bodies in her time let's just shoot back to that (coughs) terrible day in season one where she found that room full of her fellow student bodies in prophecy girl oof um as they go riley takes out a cell phone and he dials a number and he says i want to speak to the man at the desk this is agent i mean riley finn you have an agent Miller, Graham Miller. Yes, emergency frequency. So where did Riley get the secret cell phone? Riley's got more secrets than we could ever imagine. I mean, I don't know if it's a secret cell phone, but you're right. Like he has this number. He he keeps calling in the military. You're you're out, Riley. You're a civilian. Like, why are they listening to you? <laughs> so we're back at the hospital, back at the psych ward. Uh, we got a nurse tucking in people who are restrained. They're, they're kind of babbling, right? It's like one man's like, oh, you can't go. Please don't go. And he's he's really distraught. So the nurse does leave. She goes. Bye. <laughs> and then we hear a scurrying, scuttling sound. And the man's looking around. He's like, I can't see you. I can't see you. The creature slithers past his bed, slithers on top of it, screeches at him. The man screams, but the nurse ignores his screams mm. because he's crazy, right? Yes. Um. <laughs> And then, because we're not already disgusted enough by what's going on, the creature like full on goes like full on exorcist and like pukes on this guy's face. Yeah. Right. Um, and of course, meanwhile, the nurse is just completely oblivious to this. She's eating a candy. Band candy? Who knows? Maybe. <laughs> you know, and this is like 
classic horror movie trope, right? Of the person in authority, whether it's a healthcare professional or a security guard or somebody who's supposed to help you when you're in distress is ignoring you because either they can't hear you scream or they think you're supposed to be screaming. It's normal for you. They don't realize anything's wrong. So it's kind of a classic like horror moment here. Would you think it's scary? Or you, like you think this no. is <laughs> No, curse This not. is a terrible monster. I thought we'd establish that. Sorry. The only reason I didn't bring it up because I, I, I didn't want us to like be dumping on this monster the whole episode. But now that you brought it up, Steph, <laughs> this monster sucks in every way imaginable. It's not creepy. It looks fake. You know, like at least the Cobra Demon, they tried to do some fancy CGI. It was awful, but they tried. Yeah. This one, it's like, you know, that that the rubber suit or whatever it's made of must have been super uncomfortable for that performer. So I feel really sorry for that. Whoever's zipped into no, that. Someone's thing. in that? I thought it was just a puppet. Well, it doesn't it have a face? I guess so. <laughs> I don't. I mean, yeah. maybe there's a puppet component to it, but like. <laughs> That that was it's it's just there there is nothing good about that costume. I honestly believe it could have been a lot creepier, a lot more effective if it was small. Remember the little critters that came out of the the box from the mayor, like little spider creatures, mm-hmm. even bad eggs. Um, uh, what's his name? Norman Fister <laughs> from season two with the little bugs. Like little bugs are creepier. So I think if it had been small, a crawling around the ceiling would definitely not have been noticed. But like, obviously, you would have noticed. I think this it's, giant it's thing. meant to look extraterrestrial, right? It's supposed to be a single. Like, if it were smaller, then it might have been harder for us to kind of understand that it's. Oh, it's not just a weird spider or something. This is like this. This is clearly nothing like what we have on Earth, and nothing we've seen before. And I guess if if I have to say something redeeming, it's that if that is what they were going for, they did nail it. Sure. <laughs> I think smaller would have been creepier. And I'll also add that earlier when you mentioned that it only <laughs> doesn't have legs, right? It just moves with his arms. <laughs> That's even more hilarious, right? So um, we cut to Dr. Kriegel, who's discharging the Summers girls, and he gives Buffy all this information that she needs to know, all the medications. Buffy's like, no problem. And I was like, Buffy, you're taking on so much. This is such a big burden. So the doctor says... If this is going to be too much for you, we can we can make your mom really comfortable here. And she's like, no, I got this. So we see the creature crawling around on the ceiling. Joyce says to Buffy, you look just like your father when he cries. What do you think he was begging for? And then she like kind of snaps out of it. The doctor says, Joyce, we're all done here. Like, why don't you take the girls home? And Joyce just says, yes, yes, thank you, thank you. So they leave and the creature follows them out. And... um. As I'm saying this, you know, Buffy, oh, you're taking on so much. Anyone out there who like, I know sometimes it's just like, that's what happens with family or friends. Like you just, you have to take care of them and you do it because you love them and you want what's best for them. But it's also okay to say like, I can't do this and let them stay with the professionals that are paid and are experienced in helping people like this. I just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, It's not any shame to you if you are saying I'm too young and inexperienced to do something. So the girls get home and Joyce immediately is like, the light's, the light's too bright. So Buffy makes them turn off all the lights and they go bring Joyce upstairs. And we see it's like it's like a horror movie trope again where like you see from the outside of the house how dark it is. And then you hear eerie music. It's like supposed to be scary. I'm sure nothing bad will happen, though, Steph. They went to bed and then the surgery happened two days later. <laughs> The end. <laughs> and it was fine. Everything's good. So now we cut to a helicopter landing at the meteor impact site. 
and Riley's there. <laughs> yep. Just watching this helicopter land. Um, and so we see, you know, several like commando looking type people. They're dressed all in black and they got those cool black berets. So I guess they're supposed to be some kind of special forces. I thought they were French army now. <laughs> the little fancy berets. <laughs> and, and so Riley leads the way to the corpse and it's Graham. But, and he's not in charge. There's a, a, an older gruffer guy in charge. Graham's new dad, I guess. <laughs> um, and, but Graham is there, which is great. Um, and he's joking with Riley. He's like, oh, so you find a stiff in the woods and call us in. Don't you usually call your girlfriend for this kind of thing? So I feel like Graham's like inherited some of Forrest's, I don't know, distrust of Buffy or like he's given Riley quite a hard time here. Yeah. It's also that's that's on Riley for giving up everything. Right. Stop bringing Buffy into this. Yeah. Uh, so they reach the body and Riley's giving them the rundown. He's like, you know, don't touch the stuff in his mouth. And the commander says, is it toxic? And he says, no, it's just messy. Uh, you know, the guy seems to have choked on it. And he gives this whole scientific spiel about it being like a protein alkaloid. Oh, hello, Riley. I didn't realize that you were not just a psychology student, but also like a chemistry student. <laughs> so so Riley's already collected a sample uh, and he tosses it to the commander. Uh, and then they survey the impact uh, because he's like, does this fit the profile of any sub T you're familiar with? And Riley's like, you get, it's clear that he's been practicing this line the, the, for the whole day. He says, not subterrestrial, Major. Extraterrestrial. <laughs> it came out of that. And then he points, you know, like this is Riley's big moment, right? He's so proud of himself. Well, I probably waited 45 minutes for that helicopter to arrive. He's like, this is what I'm going to say. This is, this, is, this is what I'm going to say. I'm going to sound real cool. <laughs> the commander turns to Graham and he's like, Miller, set the trackers for a protein signature. And then Riley's in the air, like, no, fool, that's not going to work. <laughs> So he's like, go for the trace radiation instead. Duh. Obviously. <laughs> um, so the commander is like, okay, well, we got Geiger characters. We came prepared. Um, and Riley's, Riley's all like, that, good, there shouldn't be too much background gamma noise out here. <laughs> what? All right, physics boy. <laughs> what in the world? Suddenly he's like Bruce Banner, gamma ray expert. <laughs> and so, so, you know, they get to work. They break down. They get to work. Riley is part of a gang. Yeah. And like <laughs> again, I think they're just really showing here that Riley fits in, right? He he yeah. he 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 became a scientist in the last forty five minutes, <laughs> but it clearly suits him. Gives him a mission, makes him feel like he's got purpose. He feels in charge again, right? The yeah. guys listen to him. He's missing being part of a unit, yes. right? Like he quit the army on principle. But he didn't realize that it would leave this whole void in his life. And he tried to fill it with Buffy. And surprise, surprise, this person who was giving you something in your life, right? This romantic and, and physical intimacy cannot give you everything. And, and he put too much pressure on Buffy to be everything to him. And that backfired. And now he's like, well, I've got this big void in my life. And so I might as well get my blood sucked by a vampire <laughs> and then dust her. And it's like... You know, it's clear here, and I think the episode is doing a good job of kind of showing us how Riley's realizing he does need purpose beyond Buffy. She's not going to give him his purpose. And whether that's rejoining the military or finding like some other, like it's clear from what's going on here is he likes being involved as part of a team, kind of being in charge, you know, he's, and he's good at it. Yeah. I will give him that. Yeah, he's a leader and he can't be a leader in the Scooby gang. And I'll also say, like, he's obviously dipping his toes back into a skill set that he's very comfortable with and that he's confident in. And I don't think that's a bad thing. 
especially when you see what he's been doing on the side without some sort of purpose, which is letting a vampire suck his blood, you know? So it's like there's two paths forward here. And I wonder if this is like, maybe I'll just try this out again and like call the initiative and, and see how I can help. And turns out he's very useful here. Where with the Scooby gang, he doesn't feel as useful. So it, it I mean, I, as much as we're saying like, oh, Riley and his insecurities all season, I like that we're getting this piece of who we met back in season four of him having a talent or at least a skill set in something. So Buffy and Don are watching TV together in the living room as the creature just watches. <laughs> uh, maybe he likes the show they're watching. Joyce comes down the stairs in her nightgown. The girls don't see her until they hear a crash in the kitchen. Buffy and Don go to investigate it. And in the kitchen, Joyce is in front of the fridge while something burns on the stove. And Buffy turns off the stove quickly. She's like, what are you doing? And Joyce says aggressively, I'm making breakfast. You shouldn't eat anymore. You're disgustingly fat. And Buffy's quiet. Oof. Oh, I know. And Buffy's quiet at first because it's really harsh. And then Joyce says, oh, Buffy, I don't know what I'm doing. And Buffy says, you just need some rest. We'll take you back upstairs. So the girls lead her upstairs and we see a shadow coming from the basement. And you might think that's the monster, but I guess we'll find out in a bit. Upstairs, Buffy gives Joyce her pills and she tries to get her to go to sleep. And then when Buffy leaves the room, Dawn's still in there. And Joyce sits up in her bed and she says, don't touch me, you thing. Get away from me. You're nothing. You're a shadow. I don't know what you are. How'd you get here? And Buffy comes in and and um, she's like, mom, mom, it's Dawn. And Dawn runs away. And Joyce is like, Dawn, honey, what's wrong? So Buffy goes to Dawn's room. And... Dawn is sitting on her bed and Buffy leans down next to her and Dawn says, she hates me. She called me a thing. And Buffy says, she loves you. She's not herself. Um, I told you what the doctor said about the tumor. And Dawn says, it's not just mom. There's people that they keep saying weird stuff about me. The man in the hospital called me a thing too. And there's another one outside the magic shop. They say I don't belong. They said I wasn't real. Why does everyone keep doing that? What's wrong with me? And Buffy says, nothing. It's not you. I think there's something that happens to people's brains when something's wrong. It's like a short circuit. Makes them feel like nothing's real except for them. That's all it is. Buffy sits next to Dawn and starts playing with her hair. And she says, it's not you. If anyone says anything that like that to you again don't listen to them even if it's mom don says i hate it buffy says i know just don't listen wow so much going on here yeah oh that's it this is a really sweet scene i really like that buffy is there for her sister i have a question for you though about this do you think this is the time that buffy should have told don I know, like, obviously with her mom being sick and being taken care of no it's not but yeah um, it's not yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's not. I get what you're saying. But I think my my ideal about this is when you think about Dawn, especially because, like, we've already talked a little bit in this episode about Joyce being a surrogate mother to a lot of the Scoobies. Uh, we know that Dawn is not Joyce's real daughter. So the, the thought of adoption obviously comes up. And there's a parallel there for uh, an adopted child, right? And um, someone please come and um, inform me if I'm misinformed here. But I had read that one of the best practices for a child that's been adopted is telling them when they're really young and not treating it like it's a big dark secret that they have to find out when they're ready when they're older right so it's this is obviously different because dawn is in mortal danger <laughs> and there's a difference and there's a reason why they have to keep it a secret but i i did want to bring that up i was like i wonder if this would have been a possible opportunity to tell her it's truth. an opportunity. I, I don't think this moment is the best opportunity. Yeah. Um, I, I think you're right in general. 
uh, both on the subject of adoption, but also, you know, with Dawn in, in particular. I mean, we talked about this a few weeks ago, right? I, I think it's a good idea not to tell her like right now, just because it's very fresh. Um, Buffy's still trying to figure it out, and Dawn is in active danger from Glory. But yes, Dawn does need to be informed at some point. And the problem with keeping a secret is if you don't tell Dawn, there's the risk that she's going to find out from somebody who's not you, right? Yes. And so this is a ticking time bomb here in that sense. Um, but in this particular moment, <laughs> I think Buffy and Dawn have so much on their plates as it is, right? This is not the right time yes. to bring it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think Buffy's doing a really good job here. And also shout out to Christine Sutherland because this is a very difficult role to play, right? I, I know we've criticized aspects of how the show has portrayed mental illness and the treatment of mentally ill people in hospital and such. But a lot of this strikes, like I, I, I've had a lot of experience as a teacher of adult learners talking to people who have various mental illnesses and mental health issues, including people who are, you know, schizophrenic. And I mean, in this case, it's a little bit different because Joyce's, um, like, like what Joyce is doing, her behavior is being influenced by this tumor or whatever it is that she has in her brain. But the, the effect is the same, right? She is acting in ways that she is not consciously able to control. And that is really wearing on caretakers because, you know, if somebody is, is physically in pain, you can medicate them and you can distract them um, and you can talk with them. But for mental illness and for illnesses and, and conditions that affect your lucidity and your consciousness, right? So things like dementia uh, and brain tumors and stuff that actually alter your personality, whether temporarily or permanently, you know, that's a different kind of challenge. Buffy can't just, you know, uh, talk her mom down here because her mom is not her mom in those moments. And that must be super scary for her. Yeah. And uh, so effectively acted by Christine Sutherland. I believe it. Um, again, I don't know how accurate this type of brain tumor, like, you know, the, the effects that she's demonstrating. I don't know how true to life, you know, that could be. However, uh, for the sake of this show, for the sake of this episode, uh, I think it's very effective. It's one of the most effective parts of this episode. We're, we're saying this episode is really bad, but not this particular aspect of it. I find it very jarring. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's there are a lot of things in this episode that I think are attempted very well, right? It's like we were talking about the Scoobies taking point on fighting evil because Buffy is busy with her family. Uh, all the, the mother-daughter dynamics, the sister dynamics in the show. Like, I think there's a lot to like in this episode. It's just, it's another one of these episodes where it is so messy. It just doesn't come together and cohere into something that I would say is a good episode. Um, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, the Scoobies are at the university astronomy section in the library. They're doing research there. And Xander <laughs> says, I don't know why we had to come here to get info on a killer snot monster. And Giles says, because it was a killer snot monster from outer space. And then he's like, I did not say that. <laughs> 
<laughs> so he says demons enter our world from all sorts of ways. This one came from above. And Xander's saying he likes the study material. He's holding up a book that like looks like it's for children. That says meteors and you. <laughs> so um, they're not getting very far, but Willow found some stuff on the internet. There was a blast in Russia in 1917 where the meteor was hollow. And then there's a bunch of list of anomalies that goes back to the Queller impact in the 12th century. And uh, in his meteor book, Xander happens to see something that mentions Queller. And it says, primitive people used to be used to believe that the moon was cause of insanity. Sometimes they'd pray to the moon to send a special meteor to fix the problem the moon had caused. These meteors were expected to quell the madmen. Tara points out that the man in the woods was a mental patient. Xander says he got pretty well quelled. So Willow says the Middle Ages that were were sweeping plagues of madness. But then after these meteors came, they were wiped out. I don't know. And Giles says some something emerged from the meteors and quelled the madmen and uh tara says okay but someone would have had to summon it right and xander says my money's on glory because our resident beastie summoner willow says we should call buffy except we can't call buffy can we and giles says we can we can call riley (laughs) oh my god giles giles you're better than riley come on (laughs) right so first he says it's a snot monster from outer space and then in the same scene he utters the words we better call riley (sighs) i am blown away uh so they call call riley they do um and he says he's at the sunnydale hospital mental ward where there are five corpses and cara there so so clearly the queller killed the five mental patients that we saw in that horror scene earlier so don't you think that nurse must have some egg on her face like she i hope she got fired for not checking up on them yeah i just uh i'm not a big fan of the the facts that the scoobies are fighting in this scene yeah i i it's reminding me of season one buffy where it's like you know, here's a, a flimsy historical connection to our monster of the week. And it's like, you know, Will is just like, yeah, there were sweeping plagues of madness in the Middle Ages. And it's like, we're there. Okay, Willow, you're you're taking history right now, right? Um, that's not how it works, but thanks. World War One history. <laughs> well, they were doing the Crusades before that. Yes. So they're clearly taking some kind of like history of the Western world or something. Yeah. I don't know, comprehensive. And I, I know we've said this before, and we'll say it again. The show's depiction of mental health <laughs> is not aging very well here at all. But yeah, five dead corpses, right? Um, but no one blinks an eye about that, maybe because they're mental patients and no one cares. Well, also, so, you know, like Riley and the commandos leave the hospital after this. And it's like, like once they, once once he realizes what's going on, they're not subtle about this at all. You just got these like five or six guys like stalking around all black with the berets and everything. And it's like, what's good? Co- like, what's going on? Would this not be on the news? Right? Like military commandos showed up at Sunnydale Hospital more at 11. Of course not. They covered it up. <laughs> so it, it's true, though. Willow's worried about Buffy's mom. Um, and Riley says, don't worry. They released Joyce earlier today. Uh, ben, the intern, told me <laughs> that they released Joyce earlier today. <laughs> Oh, so Ben the intern must be interning with the chatty doctor and learning all about how we violate HIPAA. Riley didn't even ask. Ben the intern was waiting around the corner, as he does, and he just popped up and I said, did you want to know 
where, where Joyce and Buffy are? Because I'm really invested in how, Buffy's how life. How does Ben know that Riley knows them? Because like... he met, he did meet Buffy and Riley together in the very first he? scene he was in. Yeah, when um when Joyce first oh, fell. Oh yeah, yeah, because he gave Don the stethoscope, and then Don was the one who discovered Riley's heart. Yeah, but wouldn't it be funny if Ben, the intern, was like, are you in the army? Like, are you, are you, are you (laughs) commando? (laughs) He's like, so. Who are these guys? (laughs) You and Buffy, are you still a thing? Yeah. She's still into you? Because I've been doing it. First things first, are you still dating Buffy? Second thing, who are these men? (laughs) What are you doing here? Um, Yeah, anyway, whatever. Ben told him uh, the scoop, right? So don't worry about Joyce. And um, Riley says that he's cornered the queller in the air ducts, but he does not tell her that he's with the army. Well, he clearly has it because he's not in the air ducts. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Mr. Overconfident Man. Whatever, Riley. Uh, Joyce is ranting in her bed as she stares straight up. She's saying stuff like, those eyes, they're like gasoline puddles. Tell me, because I need to know where they're staring at me like that. So she's, she's ranting and we see Dawn listening to her rant in the other room. Um, she's trying to, she's really upset about it, right? She's trying to block it out with her pillow. Um, in the kitchen downstairs, oh my God, so sad. Buffy is putting on the radio and she's drowning out the sounds of her mom's ranting by playing the music loudly and doing the dishes. And as she does the dishes, she starts to bawl. Like she loses it. And I, I like was, oh, like poor Buffy. And we've, we so rarely see her break down like this. Like we so rarely see her do this, and when we get when we see it, it's just heartbreaking. And honestly, the fact that she's doing the dishes while she does it is so realistic. Honestly, like in my life, the times where I break down the most are usually when I'm doing men- menial tasks. You know what I mean? Because you do something to dra- distract yourself. I can be busy. This is going to be useful for me, and it just comes well, out. And she also has to do the dishes, right? Her yes. mom is not going to do them. Yes. So. She she's crying, but she forces herself to keep going because somebody has to do this, right? And and that is the essential truth of being an adult, and especially in our society, um, you know, for women and, and and people who are often put in these feminine roles of caretaking, like you know, we have to shoulder not just the burden of the caretaking itself, but like. We can't stop, right? When we break down, we still have to keep going because somebody's got to do those dishes. Somebody's got to make sure Don gets to school and it's not going to be Buffy's mom. So it's going to be Buffy. This is the scene I was talking about Mm. when I said this is the one scene in this episode that I think is true and deep and wonderful. Sarah Michelle Gellar's acting in this shot is, I'm going to compare it to Becoming Part 2. I'm going to compare it to Buffy and Angel in the prom. Like, because she's carrying the scene, right? It's just, it's her. It's this incredibly annoying, upbeat music on the radio. Um, And it's shot in profile. And she's just scrubbing away those dishes. She's breaking down crying. It's so believable, right? It's um, I Will Remember You style tears from Sarah Michelle Gellar. And for all the reasons you just said, right, it's so relatable. But, like, it's this little moment in this episode. In an episode that is otherwise just so messy and and strange and has stories that don't make sense and and monsters that are awful, there's this moment of realness. And I think that 
for a show like Buffy, which is a, it's a science fiction show, it can be camp sometimes, it can be pulpy sometimes, but it it has these moments of realness to it. And this is one of them where, you know, you're watching this and like, I, I just had to stop for a moment. And it wasn't that I was going to cry, but it was almost like, this is the moment, I think, when Buffy's realizing that everything's going to change, you know, whether or not her mom gets better, uh, whether or not she she makes it through this year of university, whatever goes on with her Slayer training, you know, in this moment, she is feeling so completely overwhelmed and alone because even when you have a good support system around you, like Buffy does in Giles and the other Scoobies and I suppose Riley, even when you have a good support system around you, when you are overwhelmed by caregiving, when somebody close to you is ill, you're going to break down like this because there's nowhere else for those emotions to go. Um, and that was what felt so true to me about this scene. And I just, I really appreciate that the producers and director chose to put the scene in here. And I just really wanted to compliment Sarah Michelle Gellar's like acting ability for this scene. Yeah. Well said. It is not as common as you think for a show, a teen show, uh, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, or like any show on the WB to allow the characters and the actor the space to deliver a performance like yes, this. Yes, thank you. That was a much better way of saying it than my long-winded way of saying it. Like, <laughs> yes, it's about the space. It's yeah. the stillness of the moment. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what allows it to come across as being real. And that's why we connect to it. That's why we love Buffy, right? I, I can see how you would see it as her being hit by it here. I think it happens a little bit later. Mm -hmm. So so Joyce is still staring up the ceiling, ranting about like something not staring at her. She doesn't like it. And then it turns out it's because the Queller demon is there. Giant ass cockroach demon is just on her ceiling looking down to her. Quickly, we cut to the army boys who are leaving the hospital trying to track this thing. But turns out it just disappears in the parking lot. But Riley is using his brain this episode. He's like, oh, it hitched a ride. I, I know where it's going. We got to move, move, move. You know? So <laughs> the Queller demon falls on Joyce's chest and she screams and Dawn gets up to check on her and the demon pukes all over Dawn Joyce's face and Dawn opens the door and she takes a coat hanger or whatever, like a rack and rack, yeah, yeah. yeah, and knocks the Queller demon off of Joyce. And I was like, good for her. Go Dawn. Yeah, good for you. And then it's so funny though, because it's like almost like, where is it? Where is it? It's like, obviously it's like, right like obviously it's still at the side of the bed and it jumps off and it and chases dawn for a bit dawn's calling for buffy who's crying too loud and the radio's too loud for her to hear them um dawn manages to barricade her and joyce in the room and she screams her lungs off this girl gives such a good screech here where she's like buffy <laughs> and buffy hears that she runs upstairs and she pokes her head in the door she's like what <laughs> And Dawn's like, something's after mom. And Buffy's like, stay in here. And that's when the Queller demon attacks Buffy and it, like just falls on her. Again, I think it'd be scarier if it was smaller. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Buffy and this thing tumble down the stairs. And um, at the bottom of the stairs, it, it scuttles away. And Buffy like grabs a knife and she's looking for it down there. Who does she run into instead? 
fucking spike. This is the most random oh, thing ever. The, the, I think what happened was the writers were writing, 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 and then they're like, oh shit, we're Spike. We haven't put Spike in here yet. So we're just going <laughs> to let him creep around her basement like the pervy is. Uh, probably already was in her bedroom grabbing underwear. I think it's hilarious that he reveals himself. Well, I like what he, I do think it's funny what he says because Buffy runs into him and she's like, what the hell are you doing here? And he's like, did you hear a noise? <laughs> Like, that's a funny delivery. But Sp- Sp- Spike says, okay, you caught me, all right? I was in your base. Your basement's full of junk and me being in need of junk. And so Buffy's like, you were stealing from me? And he's like, yeah, I can't exactly work the counter at Burger Barn. And he's putting something into his pocket. And Buffy's like, are those pictures of me? And I, <sighs> Cara, like, now is not the time. Now, I just don't have, pa- I don't have time to talk about how pervy and weird spike is anymore i i'm sure we'll have time in a future episodes to have yes. so yeah we could just put it aside i just i'm still reeling from our panty talk which which i'm pretty sure our listeners heard a couple weeks ago but to you and me it was quite fresh so very fresh so no like, much like the panties that spike is no! <laughs> and the thing is the thing is if he's taking photos of okay i know we're gonna talk about it but if he's taking photos of Buffy from the basement, my assumption, Cara, is that they're pictures of Buffy when she was fucking young. Because why would they take pictures of her from like this year and then put them in the basement? They wouldn't. Those would be used recently. <laughs> like the pen. Like, ah! <laughs> you just keep setting me up, Steph. I'm sorry. Get this fucking guy off my screen now. So whatever. The Quetler demon attacks Spike. Uh, he's on the ground screaming and he kicks the knife out of Buffy's hand. And Buffy looks so annoyed by that. It's so funny. The Queller demon attacks Buffy next and they're fighting and Spike throws Buffy the knife, I guess, because they're like, oh, look how hopeful he is. <laughs> um, she stabs the Queller to death. Spike helps her up. Okay. Um, the initiative breaks in with flashlights and a gun and Riley's with them. And he's like, are you okay to Buffy? Buffy ignores him and runs upstairs. I, and again, Buffy does not even register that he's with the army. She's just like, okay, goes upstairs to check on her family. Spike says to Riley, you missed a real nice time. And it's not a really good line to really set up anything. But remember last time Riley came to Buffy's house, Spike was in there too, right? So Spike is in there when Riley's not yeah, there. This is This is just such a random scene. Yeah. And Spike being there and then helping with, like, yeah, I, I see, again, I see what the writers are trying to do. I'm just like, okay. 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 It's like Willow and Tara on the roof. I'm just like, fine, I guess. I That's what I'm saying. Like, it just, whatever, you guys. So, okay, Buffy finds Joyce and she says it's gone. Everything's all right. Outside the hospital, Ben, the intern, as sexy as he is, he's sketchy because he's entering his car. And Drag, my fave character this season, uh, the henchman, is in the backseat of Ben's car. And he says, strange a body might ask what exactly it is you think you're doing. He might ask what all this was meant to accomplish. Because to a humble postulant, it looks like chaos, like unnecessary tension drawn to where it ought not to be. And Ben says, get out. And Drag's like, yes, sir. And he exits. And then outside the car, he's like, sir, forgive me. I just want to understand why summon the queller. And Ben says, what do you think? I'm cleaning up Glory's mess just like I've done my whole damn life. <gasps> There's some kind of connection between Ben and Glory? I, there, I guess. I mean, there must be. So Ben drives away and yeah, there uh, something's happening between Ben and Glory. Maybe they're like brother and sister. Maybe they're, they're buds. Um, but more importantly, Ben murdered six people. 
Thank you for bringing this up because the show never does. It does, it, does it not? Because I'm like, wait a second. Sorry, I, 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 I mean, we don't know what's happening in future episodes. And when I say that, I'm not just trying to comfort for myself here. <laughs> I don't. Maybe the show does bring up. Maybe they'll talk about future. it. I don't remember. I hope they do. Um, but in this episode is what I mean. Like, you know, we just this is the last scene with Ben in it in this episode, and it's like. What are we supposed to think of Ben at this point? Well, he's obviously evil, a sexy evil intern, <sighs> because he, six people are dead. Because Buffy can never flirt with regular guys after season two, right? Like or season three or whatever. Or they end up being like Riley, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what a shocker! Wow, that Asian intern we saw the other day better get out of Ben's face because Ben is no good we cannot trust this guy he knows glory he knows drag he killed six people this episode what a murderer all right the next morning um at the hospital buffy's sitting with joyce as the nurse preps her for her operation uh my question cara has it been an extra day right because it's supposed to be the day after the next day so they must like this must be a day or two from now from what happened yes i I believe we've just skipped a whole day (laughs) <laughs> the confusion you need a little like calendar in the corner Some, someone make me a schedule so i can keep up um the nurse leaves joy says buffy i want to ask you something if i'm being crazy just tell me okay buffy says you got it joy says the other day i'm not sure when the days all bleed together i do know i was pretty out of it and i it wasn't a dream exactly more like i had this acknowledgement it just came to me like truth you know even though it didn't seem possible, even though I shouldn't think such things, that Dawn, she's not mine, is she? And Buffy pauses. She thinks it over. And then she says, no. And Joyce takes this in. And then she says, she does belong to us, though. And she, it's not a question, Cara. Like, she doesn't say, like, she does She does belong to us. She's just, it, she does belong to us. And Buffy says, yes, she does. And Joyce says, she's important to the world. Precious. As precious as you are to me. <laughs> And Buffy nods and Joyce says, then we have to take care of her. Buffy promised me if anything happens, if I don't come through this, no matter what she is, she still feels like my daughter. I have to know that you'll take care of her, that you'll keep her safe, that you'll love her like I love you. And Buffy says, I promise. Joyce says, good, good. And she smiles at her and Joyce is back to like, who you know, her, herself. Um, she embraces Buffy and she says, oh, my sweet, brave Buffy, what would I do without you? And Buffy, I, I, when I tell you I bawled, Cara, um, Buffy is teary-eyed as she holds her mom. We see Buffy's face. And this is the moment, I I think earlier you said when Buffy's crying at the sink, you felt it. For me, I feel like this is the moment where Buffy realizes this could, this could be it. This could be the last time that I'm with my mom. This could be the last time she takes care of me and tells me these things. And that is so fucking real. That's so real, you know? absolutely yeah this is another really good scene this scene and the sink scene i think are the two standout scenes in this episode and this one to me is it's a little bit less remarkable just in the sense of like we've had a lot of like two-hander kind of emotional scenes in the show um and i think the sink one really stood out for me because it's so rare for sarah michelle geller to get a chance to just be alone in a scene and sell it so emotionally like this Mm -hmm. but i completely agree with what you're saying this is a scene where Buffy is now interacting with her mom as an adult to another adult. It's not about, I'm going to take care of you, Buffy. It's, you know, Buffy, you have to take care of Dawn, especially if something happens to me. And it's so, it's tragic, yeah. right? Like, this is the tragedy. 
and it's not slayer tragedy right it, it's not supernatural this is quotidian tragedy ordinary human tragedy joyce is sick and we're trying to make her better and whether or not we succeed you know even if everything goes well and joyce gets better you don't come back from this you can heal but you're going to be a different person afterwards and i, I mean that in terms of buffy obviously joyce as well but like you know even if uh joyce completely recovers from this illness the dynamic between her and buffy will be different going forward in this show and we've come such a long way from joyce breaking down in the car with buffy because she got expelled from high school <laughs> this is the end of childhood to a lot of people to buffy in my opinion well Buff buffy's childhood ended when she became the slayer right that yeah. was her whole freak out and prophecy girl Th this is the end of joyce leading in terms of taking care of buffy because i, th I think joyce was taking care of buffy well past buffy not being a child anymore um, except for curiously just leaving Buffy alone for all of season four, basically. Yeah, and that, that's what I mean. I mean, yeah, I agree. Buffy has left childhood when she became the Slayer, when she dealt with all the stuff that we've watched her go through. But her mother still treated her like her daughter, right? And and Buffy still yeah. acted toward her mother as a teenager acts toward her mother. That That dynamic always has been there. And here is Joyce passing the adult torch to Buffy and saying, this girl came to us, she's ours, I need you to take care of her. And that's a huge mm -hmm. torch to pass. Yeah, I wept, I wept here because Joyce is wheeled away by the nurses as Buffy and Dawn look on. And I felt like that was the moment where Buffy's like, it is up to me, um, which is why she's holding Dawn. She has her support network behind her. All the Scoobies came, right, to watch Joyce get wheeled away. And this is so real. This is so real. So like, um, again, I, as I said earlier, my mother also had serious heart surgery and that's what happens. You get to sit with them before they leave. Mm -hmm. And as they're wheeled away, they watch, they, they, they watch you go and you can wave at them or you can just watch them go quietly. But this is a very real scene for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And it's oh, like their conversation. Honestly, I said this before in a, di in a different episode, but I think Joyce gets a lot of her strength from Buffy. Right. And so when she looks at her and she embraces her and she says, my sweet, brave Buffy. Right. Like Buffy, Buffy deserves to hear that. And I just I'm really glad they had this moment before her serious surgery. We're not going to find out. You and I are not going to find out till after Christmas what happens. <laughs> Everyone else listening to this will find out next week. But um, God, what I, I know earlier I was saying justice for beer bad. All right, now that we've talked it through, this episode, because it has these two moments that really resonate and are very real, I will say this is a better episode than Beer Bad because we get these transcendent moments that are real, <laughs> right? And they make you feel. So who's your hero? I mean, I think it's pretty clear. It has to be Riley. <laughs> Just joking. Graham. Uh, it's Buffy. It's Buffy, right? Yes, it's Buffy. For sure. I pick Buffy too. So before we get to our hot sticks... I just want to bring something up that I, th I think a couple of people have brought it up just in general. You know, people who've watched the series before. It's come up in our Discord. I, I think this is probably a good time to chat about it. There is a theory going around that Dawn is the cause of Joyce's illness. Because the monks rewriting everybody's memories fucked up Joyce's brain. Mm -hmm. That's the theory. It's a fan theory. And... Uh, if you if you look out there, there's a couple of instances where people asked Joss and he's like, 
no, like, you know, the whole point of Joyce getting sick is that it wasn't supposed to be connected to Buffy's supernatural life. It was just, you know, uh, it was something that Buffy couldn't deal with as a Slayer, right? It was supposed to be a normal thing. Uh, and I, I just wanted to share that for anybody who's like, oh, you know, I always thought, you know, Don <laughs> ruined Joyce's life. But I also have a comment to that, which is, what are you doing, Joss? Like, don't, you're you're a smart person, right? You're smart enough to write this TV show. Um, don't you think that your viewers would try to make this connection? So even if you can, you can say that you didn't intend for that to be the case, but this was a really bad, like, illness to choose if you didn't want us to have that headcanon. So uh-huh. that's all I'm going to say about that. I, I think if, if this is anybody's headcanon, I think it's entirely valid because you could easily have chosen a different form of illness, Joss, but you didn't. Yeah. And even today in this episode where she refers to Dawn as a shadow, and then like, you know, a couple episodes ago, we had the episode right. Shadow. And I think there's right. there's a lot of connections where you could add validity to that theory. And I, I'm with you, Kara. I think if you think that, that's totally fair. Don't listen to what Jaw says and what you and I <laughs> think, you know, that that's our own opinion too. So All right. So yeah, we've got three hot stakes today. We got a couple of thoughts about Dawn as well as some thoughts about Riley. Where do you want to start? <laughs> I'll start with Riley. Um, <laughs> Madison wrote in to t- fra- about No Place Like Home and says, let me preface by saying I do not like our Iowa pile of wet white rice Riley. <laughs> um, sh- I interpreted the scene of Riley helping Buffy set up her appalling carpet sand circle as Buffy's way of giving Riley the opportunity to give her moral support. I like to think that she's her- heard his insecurity and neediness and thought I should include him in this ritual. I might suggest it to him as here are things you can do because army boys love a task but really i want you to just be here and i agree with you too that buffy doesn't love riley the way he needs or wants her to but she tries to do the best she can where she can maybe that's too deep of an interpretation but those were my thoughts i mean i love i love it when people give us their deeper interpretations right Especially when with riley <laughs> yeah i i agree like i think buffy is trying i think we talked about that and in- in when we talked about no place like home right mm-hmm. I think Buffy is trying. It's just that the way she's trying isn't working for Riley. And that's totally valid. You know, and and I feel like I'm repeating myself here, but maybe because we're in the middle of watching their relationship break break down, it bears repeating. This is not like a situation where Buffy doesn't bear any responsibility for this relationship falling apart, right? I think as much as we get on Riley's case, like Buffy could be doing a better job too. Yeah, she has a lot going on in her life, um, and that is a mitigating circumstance. But I think I said something in a previous episode about how it's unfortunate what's happening. Like, clearly, the show wants this relationship to uh, end, um, as do we all. Um, <laughs> the show wants to break them up, and it's working really hard. And and, and I'm going to say this, like, I think they are, they're earning it. Like, this is not just a simple switch where it's like, oh, you know... Uh, we're going to break up now. It's it's like just as much as we saw them engineer the breakup of Buffy and Angel at the end of season three, they're now engineering the breakup of Riley and Buffy. And it's a very different type of breakup, which I think is important as well, because for anybody who uh, goes through multiple romantic relationships in their life, each relationship and the end of each relationship that ends 
will be very different because you're going to be different. Your partners are going to be different and where you are at in your life will be different. So while we criticize Riley a lot in this show and we criticize, you know, his characterization and stuff, I do genuinely think this is a good portrayal of a relationship ending. And like you're saying, the buildup to the end of a breakup, if it's done right in a show like this, we're left feeling uh, final, right? There's no, like when when Oz left, we were like, the fuck was that, right? And then they had to bring him back to explain later. But if you do it right and you don't rush it, you don't need to be like, we need one more episode to understand, you know? Like it doesn't have to be that way and that's what makes it better writing. So what I'm hearing is when they do finally break up, Riley's never coming back. Wow. He doesn't need to. If they want to bring him back for whatever yeah. reason, fine. But we don't need him to come back to explain why he left, you know? So I guess the next question then, right, is like, where are we going from here? How much longer will it take them to break up? Does Buffy find out, right? Like, does she find out about the, the bite sex cheating stuff? Hope so. <laughs> All right. So our, our next two hot stakes are about Dawn. And uh, we had two different kind of theories or um, possibilities or connections for her immature behavior or just some of um, how she behaves as kind of like a kid in these episodes. So first, Frankie writes in to say, I have ADHD, and in recent rewatches, stuff that could show Dawn as younger also seems like traits that I have because of my ADHD. For example, looking for little trinkets in the cereal box, having to play with something while waiting, stethoscope, and not knowing when to stop talking. Another thing I noticed was when Joyce babied her. When my mom got sick, and Frankie notes, she's okay now, thank goodness, uh, we both kind of regressed. She kind of treated me more like a kid, and I let it happen. I'm not saying that these are necessarily true, and I doubt the writers intended any of this, but that's just how I see it. Yeah, that's a really good connection, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I I think there's a lot of possible ways to look at Dawn's behavior and, and interpret it and Make those connections to yourself and your experiences, which is great. Uh, So thank you for that, Frankie. And our last one is from Amber, who says, I always thought Dawn was too immature, too. After a few rewatches, I thought of a good explanation. Dawn was made by monks. We don't know their religion, but it it is a reasonable assumption that they are cut off from the world and may not have had casual interactions with outsiders for decades. Their ideas of a young teen, especially a girl, would be more immature and innocent. Uh, she's currently listening to No Place Like Home when when she wrote this in. And the first time I watched it, I was disappointed Dawn wasn't evil. I wanted her off the show or at least made into a true villain that Buffy could defeat. So, yeah, there's so many open doors when it came to Dawn and they, they went through one. <laughs> and that's the journey that we are currently on. But yeah, that, that's a good theory, right? Like the monks, they're just like... I don't know, make her a girl and like girls act like this. And that's what we think. And that's, you know what I mean? Sure. (laughs) Girls have boobs. As long as she has boobs, it's going to be believable. So just, just make it. (laughs) Oh dear. Oh my. Um, You know, it's the end of the episode when we're breaking down like this. I mean, it's been a long road for us to get here yeah so thank you for your hot stakes today everybody uh keep them coming we will remind everybody that again if you have a longer hot stake if you had a hot stake that's so hot it's just it's more than a paragraph long um always better to send it through gmail uh than our uh instagram or tiktok or twitter messages just because 
it goes straight to our folder that way. And it's just easier for us to collect it and put it in these episodes and not forget about it by accident. So <laughs> just a little friendly reminder. Excellent. <laughs> uh, thank you, all of our supporters, especially our chosen ones. Lizzie, Holly, Kayla, Brady, Jordan, Lena, Julian, Nicola, and Luis. Emma, Taza, Kyle, Destiny, Erica, Allison, Jace, Haley, and Tasha. Uh, we didn't say at the beginning of the episode, I'll say it now. Happy 2023. <laughs> Yay. Yay, and we will see you guys next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can't afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join us in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook prophecy underscore girls on twitter also email us at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website prophecygirls.ca where you can find the link to our discord can't wait to hear from you praise malik see you next week